Totally Scottish Football Show. I'm Andrew Slavin, and after the league changed hands in the Premiership three times this week, we are seriously considering changing this to a daily podcast. They spent three months at the bottom, but Dundee can finally look down their noses at someone else. <laughs> Stevie G is raging at Rangers, and three goalkeepers get hurt at Hamilton. Elsewhere in the SPFL, our both are disappearing into the distance, while East Fife throw a three-goal lead away. The Women's World Cup draw took place and it delivered a belter of a group for Scotland. We face England at our first ever World Cup because, of course, we drew them. More reaction to that later with women's football writer Alan Campbell. Alongside me in the studio from The Telegraph is JJ Bull. Hello! Hello! England v Scotland, JJ. Should be an interesting opener. It's the same day as the Nations League final. So, England could lose twice in a day. Yes, they could. And Scotland could win once. Also joining us once again from Copper 90, it's Laura Brannan. Hey. Hey, Laura. I heard you had an excellent Saturday night. So you heard about my MLS hunt then? You hunted for some MLS. I did. I was really quite... not a drug in London. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I was really quite excited about this MLS final. After a full season, thought, right, okay, Atlanta, Portland Timbers, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go all out and find a pub in London that's showing the game at 1am. Sounds normal, right? Pubs should be open all the time. As a Glasgow girl, I kind of thought this might be something quite straightforward. Um, You know, MLS is on the rise. It's it's Mm -hmm. becoming quite popular now, especially Atlanta as well. Thought it would be quite straightforward. And then the more research I did and the more asking around Twitter, um, looking at closing times of pubs, I've kind of realised two things. One, pubs in London close ridiculously early. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, a... they don't tell you that if you move, do they? No, yeah. that's in the small print they never told me when I moved It's a city London. that never sleeps except when it does at 10.30pm. <laughs> yeah, on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah. And then the ones that do stay open late, I called round quite a few to double check if they were showing the game. They were acting like, sorry, sorry, what's that game? What? What? It's It's what? ML ML what? Oh man! So um, don't they know? Decided to go home, try and get a stream, watch it in my bed. <laughs> found one, fell asleep five minutes into the game. What was the score? <laughs> it was two 0 Oh, it was a legal but... stream. <laughs> you criminal! <laughs> it would have been on. It would have been on Sky though, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't Sky. Right, <laughs> you can hear more about that game on the Totally Football Show American Edition. And speaking of Americans. Hey, Killies, I just got off stage. I'm on the East Coast, and I just wanted to take a minute and stop and say congratulations to the Killy Football Club for making it to the top of the Scottish Football League. You guys, I'm so excited for you. This is a big deal. It's a big deal for me, too. I love you all. I'm so excited for you. With the words of Marie Osmond ringing in their ears, top of the table Kilmarnock promptly lost the leadership of the Premiership as Celtic ran out 5-1 winners on Saturday. If you're wondering why we heard from Wee Marie, her song Paper Roses was adopted by Kelly fans as a club anthem 40 years ago. Kelly had the second best defensive record in the Premiership but were 4-0 down at half-time. JJ, we've seen this quite a few times from Celtic this season. 3-0 up against Hearts at half-time, 5-0 up against St Johnston at half-time again. They know how to come flying out of the blocks. Out the blocks. Celtic are legit. And the thing is, this season, is that they were not great at the start. Their defensive setup wasn't amazing. But now, uh, everything has clicked. They are playing this beautiful attacking football. And the players all get up for big games. And Killy's a big game because they were top of the league. They always turn up for the big games. The smaller ones, it, it doesn't really matter too much. They maybe don't focus quite as much. But some of the passing in this game was like stunning to watch. Yeah, it was really good. I oh watched the whole God. game. My God. And the shape awesome. is so nice. Yeah. But the back four, but it becomes a, a three in build-up. And then you've got McGregor as the tip of the diamond, you know, and the, the drop between them. And they're just going pass, 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 back, back. No one can get close to them. Playing it forward, breaking the lines every time the pass is. Killy couldn't do anything. I, 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 close. I felt I felt sorry for Kelly because they just came up against a very very up for it Celtic side, and I think the the reason for Celtic's 
turn in fortune because you do mention that they started off badly to this campaign. Most of that was down to the whole Boyata transfer fiasco that disrupted things at the back. But the inclusion of Callum McGregor at that tip of the diamond and Ryan Christie coming into that has just been impeccable. And also Odson Edward up front has just been sensational. I think you'd struggle to find a better performance than Celtics in the first half on Saturday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. incredible. They're just ruthless. Mm-hmm. They look dangerous every single time they go into the box. And when they turn it on like that, nobody is going to stop them. It was an incredible performance. And it is, it's like somebody's angered them. They're, they're riled up now. And this is the sort of time when Celtic do turn it around after a kind of slow start to the season. It's around the December period. All these fixtures, three days after three days, they're the ones picking up the points, building up the performances, even when players are getting rested. And this is when they really kind of step up a gear and just take off. I thought Steve Clark, maybe not an error made, but he didn't kill instantly the talk of this Leicester um, title talk. Mm. And uh, by doing that, if he'd played any amount of football manager, he would know his players wouldn't turn up for that <laughs> game. But clearly he hadn't been playing enough. Kelly just weren't playing the same way they normally play. Maybe the occasion got to their heads. Or something, but you saw that they were going man to man. They were trying to defend. Dieter. They had. They were trying to put one of the strikers was staying next to McGregor, but McGregor's movement was so good that he was always away into space. And Greg. as soon as he got into that, he would ping it forward. Yeah, it was Greg Stewart who led the line for Kamanic. Yeah, had Tishbola was just kind of meant to be sweeping things up, but in front of the the, the midfield really. Um, but it was very very difficult for Kamanic to follow the ball. When he got the ball, they were just kicking it long as well, just to relieve some pressure. But that meant it just kept coming back. I totally agree with Laura. I think it was a the best performance of the season I've seen from a team in Scotland. Yeah, Laura, we all know you're a, a Scotland fan first, um, so you must be absolutely just going nuts for Ryan Christie and James Forrest now. They're unstoppable just now. Mm. I mean, Ryan Christie is on fire. Everything he touches turns to gold dust right now, and James Forrest is the same. It's I mean, it's actually quite surprised to see he'd only scored eight goals this season. Because it feels like it's every single week he's banging it in the back of the net. Maybe it's because half of them are for Scotland right now. (laughs) But they're doing incredible and it's great because the more our Scottish players are hitting up at the top of the league, the top end, it's, it's great for everyone involved. And now Celtic have got a huge match coming up on Thursday against Red Bull Salzburg in a game they only really need a point at home. But you'd expect them to want to go out and, and ruin Salzburg's unbeaten record this season, unbeaten domestically and in Europe. You know, they like to break records. Yeah, there was that. And I think just the mentality of going for a draw isn't a great mindset to have going into something, especially a game at Celtic Park. They'll be wanting to go out there under the new disco lights <laughs> and getting all three points because we can't rely on anything that happens in the other game purely because Rosenberg are doing absolutely nothing right now in the European mm-hmm. stage. And with Salzburg already having qualified, they may drop some players, rest a couple, and it's playing right into Celtic's hands. Did you? Well, you see, then it becomes almost too easy if they do that. Then you have players who want to get in the first team who are who are really pushing and then they'll perform. If Celtic play anything like they did against Killy, they could beat a lot of teams in that whole competition. Like I can't overstate how good it was. It's like watching a, not Barcelona, but the same shape is exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's done very well. They're so organised and they keep the ball and move it. And they just play. They can just play like that. It depends on the opposition and how deep they're sitting. But they could. I was going to say because yeah. without any disrespect to Kilmarnock, I mean Salzburg are a completely different kettle of fish. They're much better than Kilmarnock. Oh, yeah. Albeit, albeit <laughs> Kilmarnock were top of the league for all the right reasons. They've been excellent this season. Yeah. I was just going to mention a bit because we should talk about Kilmarnock. They have been a sensation under Steve Clark, as we all know. He's but, a good manager, uh, Steve Clark. They've, they've. <laughs> yeah. I know we say it every week, but it's true. Um, have they still got hope? They, they, they should at least be aiming to push Celtic as far as possible, and uh, or, or anyone who wants to try and you know take the mantle off the hoops. I would think they could probably push for second the way Aberdeen have in recent years, because Rangers keep dropping points in silly ways, whereas um, Kilmarnock are better organised and seem more. Uh, they seem a bit harder to score against. This is a, this is a except game. for about Celtic. When yeah, exactly. Past like them, Steve, Steve Clark said after the game, they're not going to be judged on this. game. Doesn't matter. No, the, the games they'll be judged on is against your St Johnstons, your Aberdeens, you know, or just Aberdeen and St Johnston. Yeah. But I, I want to say they still have hope. You know, they last won the league in 1965, which was on the last day of the season. Like you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say it again, but. Kelly are taking points off Celtic and Rangers, and yes, they got absolutely hammered at the weekend. But if that is a one-off, 
bad result for them over the course of the season, you need to look at the bigger picture. They, unlike other teams like Hearts, like Aberdeen, who should be up there challenging in second, they are actually taking the points off the Mm -hmm. potential league champions. Mm -hmm. So why should that go against them? Why should we be talking about them in a negative air right now? Yeah, I get it, it's because they've just lost. But on a bigger picture, we should be talking ourselves. Long one up towards Kenny Miller. Goldson is there. Miller, though, gets a touch. Kenny Miller puts Dundee ahead. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. For the second Sunday in a row, Rangers knew a victory could take them top of the Premiership. But this time, despite having an extra man for 70 minutes, they could only draw 1-1 at Dens Park. And the real story is the fact that Dundee are off the bottom of the league. We're joined now by Grant Hill from Nutmeg Magazine, somebody we last spoke to after a 4-0 defeat for Dundee at Ibrox. Grant, Dundee are unbeaten in four games now. Are we seeing the, you know, the true team under Jim McIntyre? You, you mean the Invincibles? <laughs> it's night and day. I mean, it's, there's a long way to go and you know, we're still going to be down at that, that end of the table fighting against the drop come the end of the season but really um, the the difference I would say since McIntyre came in but obviously he had a bit of a nightmare start with the first few games but since he's had a real time to work with the players it's just the, the difference is absolutely incredible Is it like a defensive organisation that kind of bit the, the biggest thing that he's done isn't anything revolutionary he's just playing players in the proper positions yeah. uh, we, we used to go on about the McCann Tombola and every week there was some weird and wonderful formation and someone trying played out of position to try and get some sort of edge on the on the opposition. But McIntyre's just come in and said basically, right, four four two or as close to it. Uh, fast players out wide, bit of physical presence down the middle. Um and yeah, I mean you, you saw that on Sunday. I mean it was a it was a real back to the wall affair. But they were so well organised, particularly in the second half. For all the ball Rangers had, you never felt particularly uncomfortable in that second half they were just passing the ball 30 yards from goal putting crosses in or or dealing with comfortably they couldn't cut a open once and that's testament to how well how well drilled they were how disciplined they were and how hard they're they're working for Jim McIntyre obviously you know Kenny Miller has been quite the catalyst I would say um for the turnaround in this club you know four goals in the last two games he he must be how's he looked at amongst the fans well, it's it's six and four, which somebody somebody pointed out today. Mm-hmm. That's the most any players scored from open play for Dundee um, since Hemmings and Stewart left. Musa um, got seven last year, but four of them were penalties. So in four games, he's done what other players haven't done in two years. So that shows you where our major problems were. Um, Kenny Miller came in. It was a fairly inauspicious start. He had his first five or six games. He wasn't helped. He was he was being played off the striker. He was being played played out wide by McCann. Again, McIntyre's just looked at it and said, "Right, he's a striker. He's been played through the middle." And since he's been kind of between the posts, you're starting to see the benefit of that. Finally, Grant, it's Christmas round the corner. You've written a book about Albert Kidd. Yeah, well, as, as anyone who knows anything about Scottish football over the past thirty odd years knows, Albert Kidd's. Uh, kind of became a, a cult hero overnight when he scored two goals that cost Hearts the, the league on the last day of the 85-86 season at Dens. Um, I was always really very interested in the story of, of how players who aren't the greats, who won't be remembered as club legends, but somehow managed to get them, themselves into the, the annals of, of the game, and also how the, the schadenfreude aspect of it, of how he, he became a legend at Hibs, um, without ever playing for the club, but also the, the book looks it, it's it's a, it's a very sympathetic portrait of what Parks did that year because it really was an incredible achievement to go such a long time without um, without losing a game and so cruel to to lose the double in the way they did in the last couple of games. So Kenny Miller gave Dundee the lead against his old club and then didn't celebrate. Didn't really celebrate, did he? Yeah. Well, he he, he kind of did. And then remembered. And then, yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> remembered who he's playing. It was a bit like, uh, I'm sorry. Does he do this against every other team he plays? Does he do it, does he do it against Celtic? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, he was playing for Rangers at the time. It's kind of embarrassing. I mean, Dundee well, plays wages. 
Yeah, well, it doesn't mean he has to celebrate. I, I think you should celebrate if you score. I understand exactly why you wouldn't know. I mean, there's certain sections of certain fan groups that you don't want to annoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a wily a old devil. Though, is it not? Sorry? That's a wee bit sensitive. Oh, I don't want to wind up the Rangers fans. Well, I'm sorry, I don't know, but Laura, I... You try winding up Rangers fans and see how it gets you. <laughs> You've yeah. begun a thing now. I, I manage that quite easily, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how would you feel as a Dundee fan standing in that crowd and going, oh, look, we've just scored and... I, I don't think you really care. care. I don't, I don't yeah. th- I think fans will just be, just I think be glad go, that they scored. I annoy the Rangers fans, I get it. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> listen... If that was if I was watching Scotland celebrating a goal and the player scored it didn't look happy, I'd be like, "What you've played? What, what you've gone?" Used to play for England. Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did were Dundee a little bit lucky in this game because there was two incidents no. for Rangers? I'll leave it up to you guys. I'm just here to to pose the questions. So obviously the red card for Nathan Ralph sent off after 20 minutes. Was it the wrong decision from the referee? Well, it's not a red card for the reason the referee gave, and the referee gave the red card because it was uh, denying a goal-scoring opportunity, yep. which is clearly nonsense. <laughs> you can see that. Yep. Uh, maybe he needs VAR. He needs help, the referee. Let's be on his side. Uh, also, I can see why it's a red card if it's just for the challenge, because he's slightly over the ball, but he's not charging at it. He's coming from a... Oh, I disagree. He jumps out of the, the defensive line to, to attack the ball, but he just mistimes it. it, it, it I, could easily be a yellow. All I'm saying. No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with it being a yellow. I, I think when you watch it real time, anytime you watch slow motions, like any any professional footballer will tell you, it, it kind of it's not true the way you're watching it. Well, I but, think it looks worse. And the way the way that he does real. come through, I know he's trying to win the ball. I think most people do try to win the ball. Yeah. But yeah, referees are it's... yeah referees are there to you know. Oh, but see, I don't see. I I exactly. You know where I'm going. I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. and I see I see exactly where your points of view are coming from on it. However. I really don't see a lot of weight and momentum behind the tackle. He's just diving to try and get the ball, and he has gone over and is a bit late. So at professional level and at a premiership level, mm-hmm. I can see why that's a red card. However, I think if he'd been given a yellow, it would have been an awful much of a fuss. So the, the big story here really is about the referee deciding to tell Jim McIntyre that it was a red for denying a goal-scoring opportunity, which yeah. it wasn't yeah, because Andy Boyle was there. If he'd, to, if he'd sent him off and said afterwards it was for serious foul play, I don't think anyone would be debating this instant right now. Uh-huh. So that's got to be, uh, you're out of control, isn't it? Rather than a, you're, you're endangering an opponent by being out of control well, as opposed to... That's more violent conduct than anything else. It's more the recklessness of it. Um, and I don't think we can argue that it wasn't reckless. It's more the, the referee's stupidity to blame it on something entirely separate, which now means that Dundee are in this incredible situation mm-hmm. where they can turn it around, appeal it and win it, even though it was a red card. It'd be a good courtroom drama. <laughs> they can make a film out of it. It's funny because, like, you know, referees have dominated the headlines yeah, up in Scotland for all the wrong reasons. And here's, a, here's an incident where the referee gets the outcome correct, but his reasonings are completely wrong. Well, there was another incident in this game as well where they denied Kyle Lafferty a perfectly good goal. The linesman is just level the wrong guy. The angle that we saw as well is almost exactly the same angle that the linesman saw because the linesman is too slow to get up and actually be in line. If you look at it, he's in a terrible position. So he's guessing. Oh, but it's too fast. The play's really fast. I totally oh, understand Then it. he needs to be faster. Well, fitter, we'll put him in a car. I can, I can agree that, it, that it, the, the decision was... <laughs> I'll put him in a little, little red and yellow buggy, like naughty, up and down the side. I'd love that. But I think, honestly, we should be on to the referees because Dundee's performance here was fantastic. Yeah. Rangers um, look lost when they get into the middle of the pitch. They don't know where to go. Dundee were staying compact, pushing out wide every time. It was perfectly orchestrated. Rangers kept going wide... And eventually, the Lord's gone. And then it was everything was going through James Tavernier on the right. I think he had about eight million touches of the ball in that one game. There were more crosses than I think I read there was vampires po- shed forty crosses in this game, and I think Rangers 40. only only mustered about six efforts on goal. So Rangers made six changes for this game, and Stephen Gerrard's came out after that performance and said Rangers are not good enough to make six changes. Fair. Well. Why do you make six changes then? <laughs> See, I thought that as well. I thought, is there a certain sense of naivety there? But then I look back and Celtic made six changes. It's a mental as well. month of games. He has to and, rotate it, and they will always be judged against Celtic. But then Celtic made six. Well, I don't know exactly how many it was, but they made changes against Motherwell, and it was almost disrespectful to an extent because you look at who they brought in and it was a bit like, well, are you doing this because it's Motherwell you're playing and then you're bringing in the big guns back for Kelly 
and they were punished for it because they dropped points. But that's the that's the risk you take as a football manager. It is, but then you and, look and, at Rangers, and, one point from Aberdeen and Dundee, mm-hmm. then they're kind of in the same boat. You're you're swapping in players, and I understand why they're doing it. It's a busy time just now. The players have been playing a lot of games up until this point in the season. I completely get it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're dropping points. If you're going to rotate, rotate and win games at the same time, and you won't get criticised. We should for also it. say that Rangers were without, without Morelos and um, and Scott Arfield as well, which and I think they really missed Arfield because when Ajaria came on, there seemed to be a bit more of a directness um, to Rangers play. Well, that might be true. I think the problem they've got, they don't know how to create chances in that final third. Their build up is fine. Mm. They struggle against teams who sit in that compact block. So Aberdeen did it and managed to get a win at Ibrox. And Dundee did it, and they executed Jim McIntyre's plan to perfection. Well done, Jim. Rangers in Europa League action on Thursday. Um, They're away to Rapid Vienna, and a win is what they need to progress to the last 32. Think it's doable? I think it's an incredibly tight group, and it's so yeah. exciting. You cannot call this group. They've done right they've done so well to, to compete in this group. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah it's, it's excellent for Scotland. I really can't sit here and call it because it's so, so tight right now. I think it's going to be a really dramatic night, a bit to and froing, and I cannot wait to get home early from work to watch this because yeah. I think it's early kick-off as well, isn't it? And um, in a strange kind of turn of events, I don't know what it is, but Rangers seem to... Every every team in Rangers group um, have sacked their manager now because Villarreal have just sacked um, their boss. That's weird. It is. It's a very strange coincidence that that's happened. I don't know. It's, it's, it can go one of two ways, though. It can either fire up the players to impress a new man, they get a new manager bounce, or it can be a total. You know, they put their weapons down and they're fed up because they've don't know what's going on with people above them. Mm-hmm. I think they should let all the teams in that group through. Listeners, we are Scottish and we love beer, and we especially love craft beer. And once again, we're sponsored by Edinburgh's very own Beer 52, who want to give all you lovely listeners to the Totally Scottish Football Show a free case of craft beer. And just in time to watch Hogmanay on the telly. I'll be watching Jules Holland. And I'll be going out, because I have a social life. Nah, it's all about Jackie Bird. I'll have Jules Holland on my phone. <laughs> Listen, Beer 52 is the largest craft beer club on the planet. They search out exclusive small batch booze from the world's greatest breweries and bring them back for their members. Right now, they're offering up a selection of Bristol's finest light and dark beers like the hazy and hoppy Keller Pilsner from Lost and Grounded, Firebrand's juicy 5.5% New England IPA and Harbour's citrusy Ellensburg Session IPA. If all that sounds like your type of thing, sign up now at beer52.com slash scottish and you'll get eight craft beers, some delicious bar snacks and probably best of all, Beer 52's award-winning magazine, Ferment. I think the beers are the best bit. The beers are the best bit. The cans look cool as well. But Ferment is a very good magazine. Yes. And all you have to do is pay $5.95 for delivery. And if you decide that after this free taster that the club isn't for you, there's no catch. You can leave Beer 52 at any time. Just head to beer52.com slash scottish and enter the offer code SCOTTISH to claim your free case today. It's now four away wins on the spin for St Johnston as they claim the scalp of Aberdeen at Pitodre. Late goals from Joe Shognessy and Blair Alston taking Tommy Wright's men to a 2-0 victory. St Johnston are now just three points off a European place. They couldn't do it, could they, JJ? They could, yes. Yeah. They're fine. Like They're a good team. I think that's, what, seven clean sheets in a row or something stupid like that? Eight clean sheets in a row? Yeah, unbeaten in eight, seven of those... There you go. That's Incredible. madness. Incredible. Again, Aberdeen is the same problem we talked about the last few weeks is um, they don't have anything. There's a massive gap between the two centre-backs and the rest of the team. So Don Ball and Graham Shooting are meant to be the two midfielders that come and get close to them, but they're even they're a bit too far away and they're just having to hump it. Mm. And like Max Lowe is just caught out a couple of times out of position, maybe just caught between being in his left-back slot to defend and being forward to overlap on the left. But St. Johnston, I say that they're Really decent, and they're impossible to break down. Mm. Laura, no you're, score. you're a huge Aberdeen fan, Laura. Um, 
Why are you laughing? Do you think it's really difficult for Derek McInnes to come off the back of a huge win against Rangers? And and, and previous to that, they, they lost in the League Cup final to Celtic. And then they come up against St Johnston, a team that you would think they would really be able to compete against and just lose out. It must be really difficult for them. But this isn't a thing that they're not used to before because Aberdeen are a hideously inconsistent side. And the last week has just proven this mm. because they are holding Celtic to the death in the cup final. They're beating Rangers and then losing to St Johnson. And I think if we'd predicted these three results, they could have went any way at all, okay, yeah. bar the, the cup final. But in terms of, OK, they're going to win one, lose one and hold one team to the death, you could have picked any of them to say, right, that's, that's what's going to happen against these teams. You just never know with Aberdeen because they're just so up and down all the time. You're dead right. And it's it's completely, I'm convinced, it's because of the way they play. It, there's no control of the ball. Like Against Celtic, they were good when they kept hold of it and got into positions to make sure there were triangles, to, like passing lanes open, and that worked. But here against Johnston, nothing, the ball's always going out wide. It was getting past one, two. You see like Celtic, when they have the ball, they pass, 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 someone closes them down, they move it, and then they wait, they draw someone out, and then they go, Aberdeen's getting it, and then quickly, like no patience, launching it high. And it doesn't, it just doesn't work. You've got no control of possession, and you cannot build anything because you're always having to fend off counterattacks. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because McInnes wants... He likes being a counter-attack team. That's when Aberdeen were really good in, when he first took over and made them dangerous. Mm-hmm. But teams are wary now, so they sit back. Like St Johnson, you know, showed a lot of respect and sat right deep in their own half. But you cannot create chances by launching it towards Stevie May. Yeah, I mean, we have to credit Tommy Wright's managerial nous, really. Yes. You know, sitting back in the first half and then hitting, hitting in the second half. You know, trying to attack that lethargy that Aberdeen could have had over those games. Substitutions worked for him as well. So Blair Alston came off and sealed the deal for St Johnston. Yeah. And that's just the, you know a little bit of difference that St Johnston have maybe got players that can come off the bench and make a difference. Tony Watt as well. This is a guy who hasn't scored since the end of August, but he's still putting in such a shift for the team right now. Yeah. And he's coming out afterwards, and I saw him on Twitter saying he's really enjoying his football right now. And I think that's really great to see, because this is a player that could really have his head down. It's building up in his mind the fact he hasn't personally hit the back of the net, but he's not thinking about it in that way. He's thinking about what he's providing for the team in another perspective. And it's great to see that confidence is still there. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Hearts won for the first time in eight games. Peter Haring scoring the only goal of the game against Motherwell at Tynecastle. But what should have been a good day for Hearts was overshadowed by two of their fans being arrested for directing racist abuse at Motherwell substitute Christian Mbulu. Motherwell manager Stephen Robinson had this to say. I thought this was 2018. Um, that's dark ages. That's, that's dinosaur stuff. That is. So, you know, absolute rubbish for a player to have to take that disgusting. Shouldn't be anywhere near football. There's no place for that in any walk of life, never mind football. Hearts have banned those fans from Tynecastle, with owner Anne Budge saying this behaviour will not be tolerated. We should mention the video that emerged last Sunday of an Aberdeen fan directing racist abuse at Celtic Scott Sinclair. It's not just a Hearts problem, it's a problem everywhere. People are dicks. I think that's fair. Many of them are. Yep. And it's a real problem in the world. This is clearly... I I can't believe these things happen. Because I, I mean, I never see it in grounds when I go. I've never... So it feels like it doesn't... You know, I'm in a little bubble. But clearly it does. The world's in a very strange place just now as well. Mm. You've got loads of people who seem to love right-wing stuff. And you've got loads of folk on the left who just want to argue with the right. And everyone hates each other. And themselves. And you've got these morons who need put into a rocket and sent to space jail for shouting things at other humans. I, I'm annoyed because I want to just talk about football, but we have to talk about this because it's important. We saw it as well with Raheem Sterling as well, so it's not even just in Scotland. Like, Why is this coming up? As Stephen Robinson saying, it's 2018, why are we talking about this? Mm-hmm. People are dicks. Like, It's pathetic. <laughs> I, I've never personally heard it at the football and I don't know how I would react if I did, but I'm sure it would kind of hit home a wee bit. I'd be like, well, what, what is going on? I'd be like, can I turn around going, what, well, why? Well, what, that, like, why? I heard that Aberde- the Aberdeen fan who shouted um, that thing at Scott Sinclair. I don't want to say it, right? No. But, um, so he's shouting that. If I was sat next anywhere near him, I'd be like, sure. idiot. And I'd go to the... Yeah. the, the I've thought exactly the same as you. But when you're sitting in that seat, like people have to actually do it. You kind of sit there yeah. and get, like, get away with it. I, I, I don't even... You know, fair enough, if you're filming the idiot 
and you're passing on that information, you should still be, it's a responsibility of everyone to turn around and say to these people, that is not on and it's not fair. And I know there's lots of swearing at football grounds and kids have to put up with that. It's very difficult to manage that situation. But I certainly wouldn't want any family member or or my children to listen to anything like that no. and and to look at look at a dad or a mum who's not even saying it that because you're just condoning it if you say nothing just weird though as well right i think a lot of well i don't this is not the whole reason for it but there's a lot of people in this far rise right and people who are racist and sexist and homophobic and stuff because they're told that you can't say that they then sort of it's like that debate argument where they get entrenched in that view it's because they can't they want to, and the football ground is where they unleash this uh, like vile stuff at people because mm. it seems like a thing they're allowed to do. But I don't understand why they don't know why they shouldn't think it in the first place. It's not that you can't say it or don't, can't do it. It's like, why do you think it? Yeah, we saw this as well with the Rainbow Laces campaign last week. The amount of clubs that were posting saying that they were in support of it, they were going to be wearing the laces or the captain's armbands, it was the rainbow colours. And so many comments on social media of people replying going... Why are we getting involved in this? I don't want to see my club supporting us. Why yeah. are we making us a big thing? And there were horrible comments. And it's almost as if, well, clubs are having to highlight it because there's so many ancient views that people are still getting offended by this. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, uh, social media is a, a weird one because then you've got people from a lot of different countries and in some countries, like being gay is banned. Places that this is a real problem and that feeds in. Also, a lot of the folks on social media are kids and don't know what they're saying. Exactly. And a lot of them are just morons. And Twitter and Facebook have a lot to answer to this world because mm-hmm. they have given a voice to morons and people who needed a voice in the first place. So that's good. But with the good comes the bad and the bad shout the loudest. Yeah. And they're the ones that are doing it just now at the football grounds. That thing happened, right? And hopefully it'll go away at some point. But there's always going to be morons doing these things. Yeah. Get them, just tell on them. It's fine. Grass map, it's fine. Now, the actual football, uh, Craig Levine didn't suffer a near hemorrhage this time from refereeing decisions he changed his uh, shape to cater for Motherwell's very robust front two mm. made it a three at the back it also means that he's got um, more players who can play out from the back so that works a bit better but it was uh, the header from Haring it's a huge win for Hearts yeah it's huge and I know Peter Herring's been given the goal officially, but I would still argue this is a Charles Dunn goal. Yeah, and a Chile Dion goal. Yeah, oh. and I, I think it's a bit unfortunate for him. I mean, he's he's come back. He's had a couple of injuries this season. He's not he's not really had much game time at all this year. It is a shame that that's what he's marking his comeback with. But on the bright side. Motherwell did look defensively quicker with him in the back line. Mm-hmm. So if he can kind of get up to speed again, I think they'll improve overall. So it's, it's a good thing having him back. Just very unfortunate what happened with him. So hopefully it won't dent his confidence too much. Were Motherwell a little unlucky with the Curtis Main shot that went into the net? I'm it's, not going to call it a goal because it was given. I can see why it, it would be given. a foul and why it wasn't. But again, it's that's that same style that Motherwell's going for. I mean, this was they were really pinging the ball forward, going mm. for those second balls thing. I look at the XG uh, this week. Motherwell um, XG, if those of you aren't familiar with it, is expected goals, so the amount of goals that a certain system thinks they should have scored. Uh, Motherwell are exactly dead level with what they're supposed to be, whereas Hearts have scored slightly over what they are supposed to have done, and they are third behind Celtic and Rangers. Greg Levine has said that their style of play has to change for the players that they have available to them. And I do hope that they, once they do have, you know, Stephen Naismith back, uh, Suter back, Ik Piazu back. All the lads back. <laughs> All the lads back. Hearts can go back to playing that really exciting football that they that they were doing um, at the start of the campaign because Hearts were excellent. I at, think it's just a blip and they'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, and they're, not that, well managed. they're not that far off the top two. Let's look around the grounds now. It's our man Neil White with the latest from the Championship League One and League Two. Thanks, guys. Let's start in the Championship where the big winners were Air United, who didn't even play this weekend. The league leaders had their feet up as all of their rivals dropped points. Third place, Dundee United were ahead at Morton, but conceded when their keeper, Matej Rakovan, missed a cross to give Gregor Buchanan a simple header. United then had manager Robbie Nielsen sent off. Nielsen denied abusing the referee. He claimed he was abusing one of his own players, and that should make for interesting testimony when he appeals the decision. Ross County had the chance to go top and were in front at home to Queen of the South. But Dunheimer's sub Andy Sterling tucked away an equaliser that gives Air a one-point lead 
with a game in hand ahead of their top of the table contest at Somerset Park on Saturday. The only team to actually win a game of football in the championship this weekend was the one that started the day at the bottom of the table. Partick Thistle gave Gary Caldwell his first win as manager, putting away Dunfermline 2-0 at Firhill. Blair Spittle and Miles Storey snapped a nine-game winless run for Thistle and moved them two places up the table, leapfrogging both Aloha and Falkirk, who drew 2-2 at the Falkirk Stadium. Falkirk were 2-0 up before Alan Troughton's double gave Aloha a vital point. Those two are separated by only a single goal. A point behind Partick and Fermin are a further five away. League One and things get even better for our growth. They improved Scotland's best league record to 13 wins and three draws in 16 games with a 3-2 win at Forfa. Bobby Lynn scored all three for the leaders. That's the veteran forward's second hat-trick of the season and he has six in his last three league games. Our growth are 13 points clear now because second place Wraith Rovers lost 3-2 at Montrose who have now climbed from the bottom of the table to the playoff places with four wins from their last six games. East Fife were three up at home to Stranraer with 29 minutes left but drew 3-3. The leveller came with five minutes left. Daryl Meggett who had scored East Fife's second goal was sent off for a foul right on the edge of the box. Chris McGowan scored with the free kick and then Stranraer's Adam Cummins, who had started the comeback with a penalty, was shown another red card for over-enthusiastic goal celebrations. This is not extraordinary conduct in this division. Honestly, someone should be marketing the TV rights for League 1 hard this season. League 2 and it's a shame that one of Edinburgh City and Peterhead won't get automatic promotion because they continue to knock out all comers in that division. Edinburgh City were 2-1 winners at Annan, 12 wins in 14 for them. Peterhead absolutely tonked Berwick 5-0 with five different scorers. This is their best ever start to a league season, but they're not top. By the time you hear this, you may just be able to make it to Edinburgh in time to see these two go head-to-head -head on Tuesday night. All eyes were on Paris last Saturday for the draw for the 2019 Women's World Cup. We knew going in that Scotland could find themselves in the same group as England, and that's exactly what happened. Shelley Kerr's side will open their campaign against the Lionesses on the 9th of June in Nice. Alan Campbell, football writer for The Herald amongst others, joins us now. Alan, you were in Paris. What was the reaction from the Scotland camp? Yeah, there was almost a you know, inevitability when you saw England and Japan in the group and you thought, I know it's going to come out next. And sure enough, it was Scotland. Absolutely <laughs> uncanny. The same group D as they, they were in against England in the Netherlands last summer. Is that a group of death? Or is that something that Shelley Kerside can actually relish going into? It is definitely not the group of death. Argentina, for example, are not a particularly good side by, by, by World Cup standards. England, of course, finished third in the, in the last World Cup and Japan were runners-up to the United States, having won it uh, in Germany four years earlier. So they are very formidable, no question about it. But Argentina are the definite weak team in the group. What's Kerr done to get Scotland to this, to this group? Is there anything she's done differently or is there uh, a few better players that have come through in recent years? Shelley took over after the Euros, as, as you know, mm -hmm. and I have to say that under the previous regime, a number of players who have now retired were probably kept on for too long. And to be fair, in that tournament, there were massive problems in the lead-up with injuries. Uh, three certain starting players, including Kim Little, the star player, didn't even go to the Euros. A fourth didn't go. The, our, our present captain, Rachel Corsi, She'd been struggling with knee injuries and although she played in the games, wasn't fully fit. And, and, and our, our best striker, Jane Ross, was injured in that first game against England. So there were certainly mitigating circumstances. But to get back to your question, Shelley is a really good coach and uh, she knows exactly what she wants and she's managed to... Shelley talks about instilling uh, Scottishness in, in the team which means going back to the days where Scottish teams would never come off the pitch without leaving, you know, leaving anything on it. And they, they, they've certainly developed a resilience which wasn't there uh, two years ago. That's good. The, the, the Scottishness I've come to associate with Scotland is heroically failing <laughs> at the, the very end. Um, do you think... It's... Well, you see, you see, see uh, well, a butt in there, a glorious failure is, is, is just a ridiculous 
thing for, for any Scot to be proud about. I and mean, it's just mm. nonsense. And Shelley herself believes that too. She doesn't believe in hard luck stories. You, you, you get what you deserve. And uh, she and her players work very, very hard. And there'll be no talk about glorious failure or anything at the end of the World Cup. I should think it's probably the same for the men's yeah. as well, to be fair. But yeah. Do you think this tournament could be something that uh, maybe life-changing or career-defining for the likes of Kim Little and Aaron Cuthbert? I know Little was uh, voted 23rd best player in, in the world in uh, the Guardian's yeah. recent poll. I mean, Kim has been an outstanding player for five or six years now, but as, as, you, as you suggested there, Erin Cuthbert, who's only 20 years old and, play, and plays for Chelsea, she is, you know, she, she could be every bit as good as Kim Little, perhaps even a little bit better. So... Yeah, I mean, the, these are the two players you look at, but the, the, sp- the whole spine of the team is very good at the moment. Alan, what, what's, um, what's Scotland's preparations for this World Cup? They will play a doubleheader of friendlies against uh, Norway and Iceland in La Manga next month. Mm-hmm. Norway and Iceland in women's football are both very, very good sides and, and, and ones which have given Scotland trouble in the past because they're very athletic and, and physical, which in the past Scotland teams have struggled against, not so much now. And then at the end of February, beginning of March, they go to Portugal for the Algarve Cup, mm-hmm. which is a pretty prestigious tournament, and we don't know yet who Scotland will play in that. Listen, we should we should drum up this big match against England. It's the World Cup. Yeah. Last oh, time yeah. we played them, we lost. But can we beat them? I would think so. I mean, Shelley Kerr privately said before the draw was made that she quite fancied England amongst the Port 1 teams, and she's got her wish. So I assume that Shelley has seen enough about them to, to, to think that we have a chance. And I think we definitely do have a chance because England played Wales in the qualifiers and, and, and drew one of the two games. Now, we, we are unquestionably, unquestionably sorry, a better team than Wales. So, yeah, th- th- there's everything to play for in that game, believe me. Hibs have gone two months without a win, not tasting victory since a 6-0 over Hamilton in October. So what they really needed was to face Hamilton again. Just the one goal this time at New Douglas Park from Ollie Shaw, enough to help Hibs end a seven-match winless streak. Hamilton have lost eight of their last 11. They're 10th in the table. Are they going to be there all season long? Yes. Let's move on! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Both goalkeepers got injured in the warm-up. Hamilton lost Jan Muka, and Hibs lost Adam Bogdan before a ball was kicked, really. Another Aki's keeper went off as well. Yeah, so three goalkeepers. I've never seen that happen before. No, yeah. never heard of it. How does a goalkeeper get injured in the warm-up? I don't know if they like Bobby's Lamal for Hearts has the best warm-up routine I've ever seen. Where he does like cartwheels and stuff like that. I can't imagine cartwheels. Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, he does. Like, he's got an awesome. It's, it's one that he's done since he was like a kid, apparently, because he. I think he was. Um, I think he did quite a few gymnastic things when be, he was a kid. It'd be quite a good way to save, to save shots <laughs> doing curls back and forth along the line. Just doing the scorpion kick. Oh, you think you're going to score a penalty to you, boy? Well. But I can't, I can't imagine that, um, you know, Bogdan, Muka and uh, Gary Woods push themselves to that limit. No, and Gary Woods has had a hard time, especially for me this season. I bet he doesn't <laughs> like that. Or, oh, maybe he listens, who knows? Sorry, Gary. This game was not great to watch. Hibs were much, much, much better in the second half. So they played a different shape as well this time. It's 4-4-2. Mm. Effie Ambrose is so important to how they play as well. There's Karen out from the back like, every single time. Didn't have to halfway and breaking lines with his passes. That's really good. Then they put on uh, Hindman at halftime. Emerson Hindman, yes, yeah. Emerson Hindman. On loan from Bournemouth, I think, yeah. He made a really big difference. And when they put on Horgan later on, that substitution paid off straight away. It's his cross came in. And you've got Camberry alongside Ollie Shaw. And that seemed to work. And I, I guess it doesn't make sense playing three centre-backs against Hamilton because mm-hmm. they only play one striker, Michael Miller, up front. So it's a good reason for Lennon to make that change. But it was just lots of long ball stuff. Hibs were better at passing in the second half and they really moved the ball well. Mm-hmm. And I think that the players the, sh- the players they had on the pitch just knew where to find each other and that's maybe what helped them get the win. But that was an important win for them to turn around bad form. I need to build on that. Ollie Shaw, two goals in two games now. Camberry's been off the boil McLaren wasn't playing on Saturday I'm really hoping for big things from Shaw because you know he can just keep moving on and he's doing the things that Neil Lennon needs right now so it'd be interesting to see if Neil 
actually sticks with him. And uh, Gary Parker was pretty damning in the team because Lennon doesn't do media reports anymore now that he's yeah, fallen out of love with football. I was going to ask about this. What do you think about Neil Lennon not doing press right now? I think that Coingate has broken the fourth wall and hes it seems like he just really just can't be arsed. Yeah, because Gary Parker used the, the quote, was it? He said um, he's... Lennon's keen to focus on football matters, hmm. and it's I I, can, I don't know how long he's not been doing it first. I don't think it was as far back as Coingate. I think he did do it immediately afterwards, but surely this is football matters. This is part of your job. So even when things aren't going well, you have to man up, face the music, and go out there. But is he also not managing the situation that was created in the past after Coingate? Everything that Neil Lennon says always ends up as a headline, and and it always ends up just it, it, that's a bit unfair. Like anything he does say, his players can read that and they can, you know, take from that what they want. But maybe yeah. he does just want to keep giving positive messages to yeah, the players. He's maybe trying to stop the story being about him. Mm-hmm. But at the same yeah. time, is that going to now change if Hibs get back on a winning run? Is it also marrying with the fact that Hibs are on a bad run right now? It's an easy way out for him just to hide behind Gary Parker. I don't think he's I don't think he's hiding at all. I think it really seems like that really bummed him out that coin thing because it, it it breaks that illusion that you're having a bit of fun within the game. It makes it very serious. And a reporter's natural Questioning, Lennon questioning for Lennon would be to ask him about now has that coin thing affected you How, what's it like in the print and he just gets questions he doesn't want to have to answer send Parker out and do it I know they're obliged to send someone to do the mm-hmm. the, the press I hope Lennon's not fed up with the whole thing because I mean that would, it would upset you if I was chucking coins at you just now Andrew. well yeah of course <laughs> yeah, but there's going to be a time where he's going to have to answer it well, well, they can't, well there could be a time coming up just right now they've got Celtic and Rangers their next two games so yeah is he going to then oh they're bigger games in inverted commas so we're going to send out the manager to speak to press or do we wait till they're back on a winning run again and then it's a case of oh he only comes out to speak when Hibs pick up the points or is there a certain length of time that passes where he wants Coingate to die down in that case as soon as he does show face again, he's going to get asked about it. Is it are you over it now? Because you work behind the scenes at clubs, right? So you've seen how generally it works. How someone says to the manager, "You need to go and do your presser now." What what happens? Well, they know it's part of their job. It's just a, a daily, well, weekly routine for them. And I have seen it on bad results where they don't want to go out and face the music. They've sent out their second in charge. Mm-hmm. We've seen it happen at so many clubs. But isn't that a lot to do with them not wanting to just... They're so angry that they'll just lay into players and say things they don't they shouldn't say. They'll lay into refs, get in trouble, get fined, bring the club there, in disrepute. There could but, be that element to it. They might be so emotionally attached to something that's happened that they don't want to put their foot in it. But then when I was involved behind the scenes at Celtic, there was a lot of um, aspects. A lot of the reasoning behind it was actually because there was just so many games. And the thinking was we don't want to keep putting them up for press every mm-hmm. third day because we're hearing the same lines, the journalists are asking the same questions. Mm-hmm. That I can understand, but I don't think that's the reason that this is happening just now. Struggling St Mirren were one up at the interval at Almondville, but Livingston have lost just once at home all season and powered back to win 3-1 and move back into the top six of the Premiership. Only Celtic have a better home record this season than Livy. The Tony Macaroni is an absolute fortress, Laura. Yeah, they've got a really good record just now at home. It's incredible. It's really good, but it's so unfortunate that despite their amazing run, nobody goes to Levy's ground. It is empty, week in, week out. It's a nice look, little stadium as well. It's actually a really nice stadium. I was there a couple of weeks ago with Motherwell, and it was really nice. And what I like about it is it's kind of got a feel to um, like St Mirren's ground, which is one I've always been a fan of. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem I've got with some grounds of that size is the corners aren't filled in. And with Livy's, two of the corners are filled in and it feels really compact, quite cosy. It's a nice size. But even at that nice size level, nobody goes. And you've got three empty stands. Why do you think that is? Because Livingston are riding the crest of a wave at the moment. It's been a fantastic season for them. And when clubs do well, the local support normally comes out in force. It's not a massive place though, is it, Livingston? But then you look back to 2001, 2002, when they were flying high, their greatest results ever. The fans were coming out, weren't they? There's anything to do Where more. They, <laughs> they need a cup run. <laughs> yeah. But they've got they've they've got a league run. They're they're doing really well this season. And I don't want to open it up to a bigger debate of, you know, ticket prices and all that sort of thing. Mm. Are they going to Edinburgh to support bigger teams? Are they going to Glasgow to support bigger teams? They are in that kind of awkward geographical position. But it's just really disappointing when the highlights turn to Livy's game and the cameras are panning around the ground and there's no one there. 
It well, doesn't really reflect the run they're on just well, now. With, with, with on-the-field matters, we should really sing about Ryan Hardy, who's had a lot of problems this season with injury, and he comes back for his first start of the season and, and bags a goal. This was a real game of two halves. <laughs> so, it, but it was. This is, this is why that cliche exists. The first half, St Mirren to hoof it, and that sets a standard from the very start of the game. They just launch it, and um, it's horrible. Just hoof ball, both teams just pinging it, both teams sitting really deep and launching it and chasing it. The second half, um, Livy going one down because St Mirren score from a, a free kick that mm-hmm. gets headed in. The second half, clearly they've been told to keep the ball on the deck and Livingston can play and they were playing really nice one-touch, two-touch passes, kept it. Shock horror, you keep the ball and you move well, it, they score three and they're 3-1. And it's honestly as simple as that from what I've watched. Like it's just, That's it. Keep the ball on the deck, play football, Win points. Oren Kearney um, was embarrassed, he said, about their performance in the second half. And I think it's fair, isn't it? The thing the thing that surprises me is he brought Antoine Ferdinand into the club to bring that kind of stability and, and experience. Uh, he hooked him after 70 minutes and it just seemed like St Mirren at the back were just not paying attention because Livingston were able to kind of just pass around them. They were very, very passive. It reminds me exactly of the Sunday League team that I sometimes play for when uh, players just don't know exactly what they're meant to be doing and they get lost. Mm. And then you lose shape, you lose position, you lose space and you get goals scored against you. Like Livy just kept on the ground and it's so simple and Mirren kept humping it and they couldn't keep it. And they're just handing it back, possession back every single time. And you see teams that are a bit braver with the ball and have a bit more confidence in their own ability, they, they keep that going. And St Mirren haven't been able to defend set pieces all season. It's a really damning state of affairs because Oren Kearney's only got a handful of points from a scary amount of games that he's had now. The way that they're continuing, they will be relegated from the Premiership. There's no two ways about it. There's games that they've shown promise in. The draw against Celtic. They were good a couple of weeks ago. They were really good. Yeah, yeah. but 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 now now it just seems like they've gone back, and and it's really scary times. Yeah, that's correct. For them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Monday after Hibs versus Celtic and Kumbarnock against Red Hot Dundee. See you then. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Yeah.